But we are in a, uh, we're in a series called Keep Fighting. Keep Fighting. And when I, <laughs> when I intro this, this series, I, I like to say, hey, we're talking about not like, not like keep fighting in your home, you know, like between parents and kids and whatnot, but not keep fighting in that way, but keep fighting the good fight. We are in a, a spiritual battle. And um, I, I don't know that all of us are, are very aware of that, that we are in a spiritual fight. Uh, I think a lot of us get lulled to sleep in life, and uh, most of the time we get lulled to sleep because everything's good. Like th- when things are good, y'all, we just put down the defenses, we just chill out, and uh, and especially in America, man, so many things are so good that uh, in the church, in the church, man, we get used to showing up. Like like for us, this is just normal. We have we just have this option to come and do this and worship and and hear someone teach the word of God and uh, you know throughout history that has not been the case even in the world today there's many people who uh, to, to if they if this was figured out right if the if the if the law figured out what they were doing the government would come in and, and shut them down uh, but we get used to it in America and we enjoy our freedoms and whatnot but we we lose sight of the fact that we're in a spiritual battle and so there's a lot of things that begin to seep into our life and things that begin to uh, to take us out in different ways. And so anyway, that's kind of what the series is about. It's about the, the, the enemy, John 10, 10, the thief that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And uh, I don't know if you know that, but there's an enemy. He's real. He's a thief. And he's after you. He's after your life. He's after your kids. It's one of the reasons that a lot of churches don't make it 20 years is because the enemy seeks to uh, find his way into people, into people's uh, relationships and begin to break things down. And all of a sudden you have disunity and division, and then it ends up in uh, the body of Christ not making it, right? A church like this, not surviving through those types of things. And so the enemy seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. In many ways, uh, last week we exposed the enemy's strategy around confusing our identity which is who we are with our function, which is what we do. All right, now I hope all of you were able to hear last week's message. If you didn't, I hope that you went back and listened to the podcast or the YouTube or whatever to catch up because today is part two of that. And so I want to go ahead and put up what we talked about last week, which was that the kingdom kingdom of the world, in the kingdom of the world, it, uh, it prioritizes function first then purpose, and then identity. So it sounds like this. We asked the question last week, who are you? If you just sit for a few seconds and you ask the question, who am I? What comes to mind? And for most people, they think about their function. They think about what they do, where they work, what their position is. Are they a husband? Are they a wife? What, you know, Are you a student? And then from that function, they, they think that that's who they are. And then they say, well, my purpose in this season or my purpose is to be a good student, be a good husband, whatever the case is. And so therefore, that's my identity. I'm a husband. I'm a mom. I'm a whatever. You know, I'm a boss. I'm an accountant, whatever the case is. And that's how the kingdom of the world operates. And that's actually not accurate. Because here's the deal. Uh, it, it ends up, whenever we confuse our identity and function, our function begins to shape our purpose, and then it, which is, why do I exist? So essentially what happens is we say, what I do is why I exist. How many of you have gone through, don't raise your hand, because all of us would, you've gone through an identity crisis. At some point in life, you went through an identity crisis. The reason that you went through a massive identity crisis is because you probably had this pattern in your life. 
whenever your function changed, you lost who you were. And so you had to regain some sort of balance in life. The problem is, is that whatever you gain balance in, eventually that's going to break too, because that's going to change. If I'm a father and the kids move out the house, I feel like I've lost my, my, my purpose because for so many years, my purpose was to be a good dad. And you're still a dad after they leave the house, of course, but it's just different, right? So that, that causes massive flux and, and, and change in our life, and it affects our purpose. I've lost who I am. Well, you lost who you were because you probably never knew who you were in the first place. That's the problem. And that's the enemy's strategy to mess with you to define you and, and cause you to identify with something or someone that you weren't intended to identify with in the first place. And so in the kingdom of God, it looks like this. Identity, which is who I am in Christ, as we talked about last week, right? That, that determines and shapes our purpose, which is why we exist. And then whatever our function is, is to accomplish the purpose, based upon our identity. It's, it's, it flips everything upside down. And so I hope today as we talk about this, like it, it becomes clear because the enemy wants to redefine you. The enemy wants to give you a purpose, a counterfeit purpose that you base your whole life on. And at the end of your life, you still never feel like you fulfilled what your purpose was because potentially it was the wrong purpose all along, all right? So the point is that purpose flows from identity. Your purpose flows out of your identity. And we've seen uh, uh, in the, the story of John, all right, not the book of John in the Bible, but literally a guy named John in our church. Uh, last week, we watched a couple of minutes of his story. And what we saw is John's identity wasn't, wasn't proper. So therefore his purpose, what we're gonna learn today, his purpose was off. Now, John, at the end of last week's story, he gets right with God and he experiences the love of God. His identity is now in Christ. But John, like all of us, even though he's saved, continues to struggle, which is hard for some people because they're like, now that I'm saved, it all should be good. Not realizing that the fight continues even after you're born again, right? And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to watch the rest of John's story today. It's about seven minutes long and you think, oh, that's a long story. Dude, I could listen to John talk all day long. If you know John, he's just like, hey, man, let me just tell you what's going on, man. And he just... Anyway, he's easy to listen to, but I want you to listen to his story and see the pattern in his life of how the enemy seeks to kill and destroy his life, literally, all right? And then uh, we're going to learn some things out of that, amen? All right, let's go ahead and watch that. When I gave my life to Christ, and uh, God did a just a miraculous work in my life. He healed me, and he, he cleaned me from those demonic spirits that had tortured me for years. And I started serving in the church. I met my wife. Uh, we started serving together and, and things were going pretty good. I was still dealing with some of the depression, but I was I was relying on God. I was I would worship God. His grace was sufficient, as the word says. And about 2012, uh, I was in a severe, severe accident, very traumatic. At first, initially I was okay. But then because of the nature of the trauma, I had this dark cloud come over me. And it, it was an extreme fear of death. Every day when I woke up, I felt fear like I was gonna die. 
and the anxiety and the depression come back and it was worse. And in the Bible, it talks about when a man's cleaned of an un unclean spirit, it goes out and can't find rest, so it comes back. And when it comes back, the house is swept. And then it goes back out and gets seven more spirits, more evil than it, and dwells in that house. And the man's worse off than before. And I lived that scripture. I was worse off than before. This went on for about six years. I'd, I'd made a decision and that I was either gonna leave home and start a new life or I was gonna take my life. And I was really leaning on the ladder to take my life. And I was still coming to church, but I was, I was just going through the motions. But I did reach out to a friend and he's also my pastor now. Uh, Pastor Stephen DeFazio, I reached out to him and just told him what was going on. And he had compassion for me and he listened to me and he prayed with me and he gave me hope to keep fighting. And one day, another man that's been really pivotal in my life, Curtis Gillum, he was leading up the team and uh, he said, hey, John, how you doing? And I just replied with the canned answer. And I said, oh, I'm doing good, man. And he stops and he looks at me very seriously and he goes, he said, no, really, how are you doing? And that shook me. And I knew that was God saying, I see you. And then I was actually in another pretty serious accident at my job that left me hospitalized. And I was laying in the hospital bed and I spoke to God and I hadn't spoke to God in quite a while. And I told God, I said, I get it, God, I deserve this. I, I deserve to, to be here in this hospital bed. And uh, later on that night, I received a text from a dear friend of mine who I knew was a woman who's, who seeks the Lord regularly. She didn't know what I said to God, but she texted me and the text simply said, this didn't happen because you deserved it. <laughs> and right there, that response, I knew God was real and God loved me. And he wanted to, to see better for me. So I began to fight again. I began to fight for my life and for my faith. And I started to see God again. And uh, I was still struggling. I was still dealing with the anxiety. And we're, we were going through COVID then. So my anxiety was heightened even more because of everything that was being said. I was already de dealing with the severe anxiety. But during COVID, I also turned 40 that year. And I decided I wanted to learn to play an instrument for, for the first time. And so I did, I started learning how to play the bass and uh, got a message from Pastor Jordan Cody one day. He said, you ever thought about trying out for the worship team? And I was like, man, that'd be awesome. I was like, I don't think I'm ready for that. And he said, well, you send me some video. And I so I sent him a video of me playing. He's like, man, you should audition. And uh, I said, all right. So I did and I filled out the form and auditioned and I passed the audition for the Infuse and started training. But I, as I started doing that, 
I just really started to press into worshiping God. I'd all, before, I'd always worship God musically, and uh, I started really just pressing in and focusing on worshiping God. And as I worshiped, the next thing I knew, the fear was gone. The anxiety was gone. Like it, it was, I was miraculously healed. Uh, there's no other way to explain it. Like I literally just woke up and I had complete peace and I have complete peace to this day. Uh, God healed me. I'm not scared to die. I'm very confident in my faith and in my salvation. And God started to restore everything that the devil had stole from me. And, you know, I went to my children and my wife and I asked them to forgive me. And they started seeing the change in me. And now I'm serving on the worship team with my son, my wife, and my daughter is serving uh, at the OS campus. So God started restoring all those things. He tried to, you know, the enemy tried to take me out of my family. I think he would have liked nothing more than me to kill myself, but God had a plan. When you see me worship on stage, just know that I'm worshiping from a place of deliverance and dependence on God. John's, uh, John's story is, it's an excellent story to look at. And I love the way that he shares it because he's just so matter of fact, you know what I'm saying? Like John's just like, yeah, uh, you know, a, you know, a demon walked in my room and he just says it like he's not very uh, animated about it, you know, but as he shares, uh, I don't know about you, but my faith is encouraged when he said, I, you know, I realized God was real and God loves me. Like those key statements were pivotal moments in John's life where God, y'all, so many times we're looking for like these, these huge revelatory moments of like deep, you know, theological depth, like, whoa, you know, the deep moments is whenever you know that God's real, God sees you, God knows you, and it transforms you. That's deep. That's, that's, those are massive moments in our lives. And uh, for many people, uh, they, they, they kind of don't have those moments. Like, I wonder for you, is there moments in your life that sort of reflect some of the moments that John has? Is there a moment whenever you realize that God loved you? Is there a moment whenever you realize that, that the enemy has you know, power over you? Like, are those moments in your life and are those moments continuing to happen? Because that's the fuel in the tank. That's the fuel in the tank. That's the spirit of God revealing himself to you and empowering you to move forward in this life of faith. And I'll say this, if you aren't having those moments, if you aren't having those steps, what happens is, is over time, the enemy is sowing lies. He's sowing deception in your life. And I, I love John's story because even after he gets saved, right, he's still struggling and he's still fighting. And I don't know about you, but that encourages me. It encourages me whenever I read the word and I read about these mighty people of God, you know, but I see where they struggle. First off, it's like, okay, I'm not alone in this. 
and it encourages me to keep fighting. And, and honestly, that's what I hope for you today, that you keep fighting. The enemy seeks to steal your identity and he seeks to, to kill and destroy your purpose. And that's what we see with John. Now, I wanted to find purpose real quick. Like if you look it up in the dictionary, it's this, the object toward which one strives or for which something exists, an aim or a goal. So whenever you say, you know, man, this is my purpose, you're saying, this is what I'm, I'm striving toward. This is why I exist. And so, you know, you think about a phone. A phone was invented. It was created for the purpose of communication. Uh, cars were invented with the purpose of transportation. Like there was a reason. There's, there's a purpose behind it. A car wasn't actually invented so we could have AC inside of a little compartment, you know what I'm saying, in South Mississippi in July. It's, I mean, it, it does serve that purpose to a certain extent, right? But that's not actually why it was created. And so if we start just saying a, a car's whole purpose is AC, then we've misdiagnosed or misidentified what the purpose of a car is. And so then everything around that begins to, uh, you know, the direction of design and all sorts of things starts veering away from the fact that, man, a car is actually supposed to get me from point A to point B. Now, Put that on yourself. I want you to ask this question and then sit in silence and think about it for like 10 seconds. All right. Answer this question. Why do I exist? What is, what is the purpose for which I am alive right now? Why do I exist? Why was I created? If you've been around church a long time, then you've probably got the right answer. But whenever you ask that question, even as a believer, isn't it weird how your mind has to go through a, a few different thoughts? Like you might know the biblical answer right now, but you still had to kind of walk through a couple of really like other answers that you're like, oh, wait, 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 no, we're in church right now. So the answer is probably something to do with God. You know what I'm saying? But if you weren't here, if we we're at Waffle House and I asked you that question, you know, it'd be like last week. Who are you? I'm a dad. I'm, a, I'm an accountant. I'm a whatever. It's the same thing with my purpose. So why do we exist? When it, whenever we ask ourselves this, many times our first response is actually very, it's very self-focused. It's focused on ourself. It's obviously it's my purpose, but it's, it's about me. Why? Because in the kingdom of the world, we did this last week, in the kingdom of the world, our purpose is to glorify self. And whenever we give an answer that has to do with self, we don't think about it as glorifying self. That seems way too spiritual. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't worship myself. I know you don't think it, but guys, we worship at the altar of ourself a lot and we don't even recognize it. We can even cloak it in some really spiritual things. We can cloak our purpose in even sounding like it's for other people. I exist to help other people. Some of you, that might've been your thing, like to help others because that sounds really good. And you know what? You might be pure in it, but I know something that can happen is that you could begin to say, I'm doing this for someone else when in fact, you actually like the way that you feel whenever you do that. And, and so then, in fact, it's really not for the other person. It's because you want that, that hit inside of your soul 
that makes you feel good. That's why if they don't say thank you after you do it, you get mad. Uh-oh. That's not my notes, but that just, yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's a moment right there. You know, it's like, I did that for them, and they did not say thank you. <sighs> See if I ever do anything for them again. Oh, all right. There's your answer. You did it for yourself. See, altruism and all this, a lot of stuff in culture, donating money and donating things. I like, I like our tax system because I think it leverages greed in order to help people. All right. But it's still leveraging greed. And if I give this, I get a break over here. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and so it kind of works out for everybody. But it's, it's not truly like, like I wonder if people would give as much if they didn't get as much of a tax break on it. It's selfish. See, we, we think that we're not glorifying self, but in the kingdom of the world, the, the system of the world is built, it's patterned in order to serve self. And we're a part of this world, y'all. I don't know if you know that or not. But this type of self-worship or self-fulfillment, it's an effective strategy that causes people to pursue, listen, y'all, it causes them to pursue what they feel is their purpose, but it is, in fact, a counterfeit purpose. feels meaningful. It feels depthy. It feels like it's going to help, but it's counterfeit. And then it, 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 it like, it turns on you different seasons of life. Maybe the moment that somebody doesn't thank you, all of a sudden it went from, I'm really here to help to you didn't say thank you. It turns on you. And all of a sudden, sometimes it reveals the true heart of why you're doing it, but, but it's a counterfeit purpose. What does it look like to to serve a counterfeit purpose. I believe Matthew 16 it kind of depicts it to it. It says, it says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Whatever that purpose is that you feel like, you're right, that counterfeit purpose, you gain that, you actually accomplish that, but in the, pro- the, the process of doing that, forfeit, lose your soul. What did it matter? What was, the, what was the real purpose of it? Well, I believe the real purpose of a counterfeit purpose that the enemy would give you is really just death unfulfillment, death, seeking, you know, just just going from thing to thing, constantly looking for a purpose for some sort of fulfillment. But you're not going to find it because counterfeit purposes promise a lot, but actually provide nothing. And you can live your whole life on that. You ever seen the, the, the thing with like a, like a, you know, a horse or a donkey, somebody sitting on it and they have like a carrot in front of the donkey and the donkey is just like following the carrot, but it's never going to get to the carrot because it's too far out front, but it's too Y'all, it's too dumb to recognize it. You know what I'm saying? That's what it looks like for us a lot of times. We got this, we got this carrot on the end of a stick, man. It's a counterfeit purpose. And we're living our life for that thing. And it's not even, it's, we're never going to get there. Because it's not designed for us to get it. It's designed to just get us up in the morning. Just get up in the morning. A lot of people, they need something like what I'm talking about just to feel like they can get up to go to work. Just to get up like, like, just, okay, why am I doing this? Oh, man, dude, you know what, bro? I got a vacation coming up. I'm just trying to get to vacation. You know what I'm saying? Or like, I'm just trying to, uh, that's what a counterfeit purpose sounds like. It, it, it does. In many cases, it can lead to depression. And I mean, John, I think we see what it led to with John. It led to literally him feeling like, I have no purpose, and so therefore, why am I here why don't I just take myself out? For some people, it does end up to that point. 
Why? Because that's what the enemy does, y'all. That's what he does. It's a strategy that he has. It's, it's, it's a bullet in his gun that he shoots at so many people. And for those who can't find that, that carrot, right? They got nothing. At times it's like, well, why am I even here? So it leads to all sorts of different results, but eventually self-glorification or self-worship eventually leads to physical and spiritual death. That's, what, that's, that's the end game of it. Now, if y'all remember the, the scripture, last week we read, uh, the enemy comes to, to kill, steal, and destroy, but then Jesus says, but I have come that you have life. And so we see two sides of this coin. If there's something in our life that's leading to death, ultimately, eternally leading to death, it is not of God. That is not what God came to bring. He came to bring life. So what leads to life? One of the things that John talks about, he said um, that the remedy for the situation that he was in, this hopelessness, this purposelessness, I love this. He didn't say this, but this is kind of what I read into. The remedy for John's situation, it wasn't a new relationship or more money. If you, if you remember last week's story, he came to church for a, for a girl. He got invited by a girl. Well, he actually, he got invited by a girl that he was trying to pursue. And uh, it was funny because last week we were like, was that his wife now, Chantel? It was not Chantel. It was not Chantel. Nope, nope. So if you see Chantel, don't say, hey, are you the girl that invited John? She's like, no, I'm not. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, sorry. You know? Um, but but the, the girl said, ah, I'm not really into you, John, but come to church because you need Jesus. Right, so that's where he find that's where he found Jesus, and he finds purpose. But um, it wasn't a new relationship; it wasn't more money. What what actually remedied John's issue was it was a change of worship. And here's the deal: even after he was saved, it was a change of worship, and I don't mean the worship team. <laughs> that's not what I mean here. It was a change. He was learning how to take his eyes off of himself through trials. Look, I know some of the stories that he's talking about, y'all. It was deep. It was, it was hard. He had to walk through a very, very dark time. But, but God was breaking him of certain things in his life, and he was turning his, his eyes to Jesus. Now, one thing that you need to recognize in his story, though, is he didn't do it by himself. All throughout his story are the people of God that came around him. He's in a hospital bed saying, I deserve this. And a person who heard from God, had a word of knowledge, texts him that word, and that word is what brought him life in that moment. And he said, God knows that I'm here right now. The body of Christ is so important in this fight. And and I would say, I don't know how I would fight this fight without being in a body, the, the body in a family in the church. And so you do have to look at your friends around you. Who do you hang with? What's their, what's their feel? Whenever you leave hanging out with a certain group of people, do you feel encouraged in your faith or do you feel like you're being pulled away? Now, I don't, I don't think that we should just 
like only have Christian friends and that's it and we can't hang out with it. Like, I'm, not, I'm not saying that right now, but you have to be aware of those things inside of you because the enemy will use even great friendships in your life to begin to deal to you the wrong identity and the wrong purpose because you see how they live their life and you see how they talk about their purpose and you're like, oh yeah, my purpose is kind of that. But, 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 but you're like, wait, I'm a believer. John's, his, his worship changes and therefore his purpose changes, which I think speaks to us that the fight for our purpose is a fight for our worship. Every single day that you wake up, the world, the, the world system is pulling at your attention for who you're going to worship. Young people, every time that you're scrolling on your phone, you have to just not realize that you're just scrolling through stuff. Just, it doesn't, like it doesn't matter. You're scrolling through things that is drawing your attention and, and potentially, eventually, your worship. Everything, it's pulling at us. Our self alone is pulling at us. Just our own desires let alone the, the world system that we're in. This is a fight, and it's a fight for our worship. It's basically, who am I going to worship? Myself or God? And now we're in church, and I know that you expected that. But it's true. The Bible is very clear. We're either a slave to sin or righteousness. Like, it, it's, it's pretty, we like to make it sound like kind of the spectrum thing. You know, what kind of, kind of in the middle. No, no, man, it's, it's razor thin. It's razor thin if we're worshiping self or God. Now, in the kingdom of the world, our purpose is to glorify self. But in the kingdom of God, our purpose is to glorify God. This is the real reason that we exist. So whatever, whatever purpose that you answered with in the beginning, that is a lesser purpose than this right here. It might be a good purpose. It might sound good. It might even be noble or whatever. So I'm not saying it's like wrong. It's a sinful purpose. But I'm saying this is the highest priority, that we are created. We exist to glorify God, to lift him up. I'm going to explain what glorify means in a second. But, but this is why we exist. And this is why every other purpose or identity or whatever eventually falls short. It eventually runs out of gas. It's not going to get you to your destination because you weren't created for it. You are the car that has AC that now people say you exist for AC. You don't exist to be an air conditioning unit. You're a car. You were created for a certain purpose, but then people kind of re-engineer it and the world begins to re-engineer and kind of fit us into this mold that we think that we're going to be fulfilled and our purpose is this, and it's not. That's why it doesn't feel right, especially for believers. It's also why some people, they get saved and over time, they begin to get bored with Christianity or bored with God because they are they are. They're being absorbed potentially with self. They're being absorbed with the world. And so the, 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 that lens that the world has is now on their eyes. And they might still be a believer. They might still be born again, but they're not living in victory. There's no movement in their life in regards to their relationship with God. And, and especially, we haven't even got to talking about leading others to Christ. Most people are just trying to keep their, 
like their nose above water just to make it with Jesus. And God's like, you're going to do greater. Jesus says, you're going to do greater works than me. Right? Like, like there, there's a lot more to this Christian life than just trying to make it to church every week. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, if I could just keep believing in Jesus. It's like, dude, man, what happens? Our eyes are on ourselves. Our eyes are on our circumstances. We have become very temporal minded, not eternally minded. And part of that, our purpose begins to get cloudy. And now we don't even know why we're breathing. Westminster Shorter Catechism says this. Some of you grew up on this right here. What is the chief end of man? What's the point? Why are you here? What's the, what's the end game for why you're here? It says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Glorifying God is what leads to life. Glorifying God is what leads to fulfillment. Glorifying self leads to death, although it feels good in the beginning. It leads to death. Glorifying God, which doesn't satisfy, satiate ourselves, right? Our desires leads to life. And the Bible says there's many, the narrow way that actually go that direction. Why? Because it's easy. It's the natural response to glorify self. And so we're in this fight. Am I going to glorify self or am I going to glorify God? And again, we'll get into what it looks like here in a second. But this, this tension, this fight, you're in this fight every day for your purpose. Is my purpose to glorify God? Last week, whenever we talked about identity, we looked at how Jesus uh, fought for his identity. And some people might be like, Jesus didn't have to fight for his identity. He was God. He knew that. Well, the enemy still came to tempt him. And remember in the wilderness, the enemy comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, if you are this big deal, then do this. Then, then why, don't, why don't you see this? So we talked about as, as children of God, the enemy comes to us and says, if you are a child of God, if you are a child of God, you wouldn't be struggling with that anymore. If you were a child of God, then you, right? And it begins to, to confuse and to, to kind of, begin to look inward and be like, oh man, what's wrong with me? And he begins to identify us differently with our purpose. The enemy seeks to do the same thing. And Jesus, whenever he was on this earth in the flesh, there was a fight that he was in for his purpose. And actually uh, there's a moment where he's, his disciples are offering him something to eat, which really had to do with like, you know, sustenance and like, you know, sustaining him. And he, he sort of, he ends up introducing another thought there. And he says, actually, my food, the thing that sustains me is that I do the will of the Father. He's like, my purpose is to do the will of the Father. My purpose, Jesus says, is to glorify God. And so we learn from him that our identity is, is not what the enemy says. The, I, our identity is not what the world says. Our identity is who we are, we learn from Paul, in Christ. And our purpose, we learn from Jesus also, is that our purpose is to do the will of the Father. So how do you glorify God? How do you do the will of the Father? What, Father, what does that look like? How many of you have ever thought before, somebody say, man, you just gotta live to glorify God. And, and you're like, yes. I glorify God. It's like, what does it look like? What does it practically look like to glorify God? I want to give you a couple thoughts about this and then we're going to close. But 
how do you glorify God? One thing is, is this. When you give God credit and honor for everything in your life and acknowledge his greatness. When you give credit to God. I don't think it's a small thing when somebody says, all glory to God. Somebody says, dude, you did amazing. That was awesome. Man, thank you so much. I appreciate that. But man, I give, I give credit to Jesus. He saved my life. Man, glory to God. It's like, oh, that's a small thing. No, that's a big thing. Because in that moment, you know what you're doing? You're deflecting worship from yourself. You're deflecting it to who it belongs to. So it's not a small thing. It's a big thing. You acknowledge his greatness. And then that's where scriptures like 1 Corinthians 10 come in. It says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat, you drink, you're hanging out, whatever you're doing, do it for the glory of God. If you would make that big accomplishment, you're doing that for the, ultimately for the glory of God to point people to him. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works. Come on, the things that you want everybody to know about, that they may see your good works and, and what? Not give glory to self, not give you a pat on the back, but give glory to your father in heaven. You'll see, it's a simple thing, but then we start thinking about our daily life and it's like, man, how much credit have I been given to God? How much honor have I been given to God? Have I been acknowledging God in all of my ways or have I been kind of siphoning, siphoning off some glory? I like the way it makes me feel. It's a trap of the enemy. And guess what? It's worked since the beginning of time. And it will continue to work because we love to glorify self. So we aim to glorify God uh, by giving credit and honor for everything in our life to him, right? But we also aim to live, uh, to, to glorify God by living a life of repentance and obedience. We aim our life, come on, the object in which we're striving towards, the father. We give him credit, we give him honor, we give him worship, but not just with our lips, but with the way that we live. So we aim to glorify God by living a life of repentance and obedience. Second Corinthians 5, 9. So whether we are at home or away, uh, this next part says this, we make it our aim to please him. We wanna please God in the way that we live. Amen, anybody with me on that? Like, I hope that's, that's, that's in you. It's like, hey, how do I live my life in a way that pleases God? Begin to seek the Father for that, but also his word says, walk in a, in a manner worthy of the Lord um, so that you may walk in a, a manner worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. What's some practical things that might look like? Living a life of integrity. Be honest, right? How about, how about showing gratitude? Having, living a life of faith in God. Stewarding what you have in your life and the resources you have well for the kingdom of God. Uh, embracing biblical community. I think a way that we could, uh, we can, uh, Bear good fruit is by walking together well and serving others. So if you serve someone and they say, thank you so much, instead of saying, you're welcome. And just like eating on that moment, letting it fill you up. You say, man, you know, thank you for saying that. But man, I just want to let you know that I do this because I love Jesus. You know what I'm saying? That moment, they're like, oh, oh. well, thank you, God. Right? What did it, it, you deflected it. That pleases God. It pleases the Father. So this is how we fight for our purpose, why we exist. We recognize that first off, 
We exist to glorify God, and we do that by living a life that glorifies and pleases God. And y'all, listen, this is the last thing. This never gets old. This lifestyle for a believer never gets old. Sure, you go through seasons where your attention and maybe your affection is being tugged at. Maybe you go through a trial, potentially, something that's seeking to pull your attention away from what we're talking about today. But how many of you, and I will ask this question, how many of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time and you've tasted of his goodness and his faithfulness and then you went through a season of life where you walked away from that and you begin to, you begin to glorify self again and then you experience truly how unsatisfying that lifestyle was and then you came back and you begin to glorify God again and it was like, it was like, it was like you just, I don't know, man, it was like, <laughs> He's like, this is why I exist. I think sometimes we actually need to experience some of this over here. You know, sometimes whenever a, a young person is struggling in life, you try to help them. You try to tell them, hey, man, don't do this. Don't do this. Because if you do that, then bad things happen, right? But then all of a sudden, they just keep, they just keep veering off, right? Because they're 18 and they know how to live. Every, they, know, they know everything, right? I did the same thing. I get it. Sometimes what has to happen I'm going to pray for God's protection over your life, but go figure it out, my boy. <laughs> my boy, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, I don't know. And then it's amazing how as you get older, all of a sudden you realize those things that you thought were so cool, they don't fulfill. Because you, you don't exist for that. You don't exist for it. You were created to worship God. We just sang it a while ago. I was created to bring you glory. That's why we were created. And so, so we will go from thing to thing. The people that you know, they go from thing to thing, trying to find themselves, trying to find a purpose whenever the purpose is so clear in the word of God. And in, in, a, in a sermon like this, we just have to remember it and we have to, have to hold true to it because ultimately this fight for our purpose is a fight for our worship. It's a fight for our focus.